0: All right, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're going to do uh, three verses today as Jesus now is rapidly moving towards the cross. This is the last week of the life of Jesus in this world. Um, And uh, John is uh, laying out in great detail, great detail, what is going on behind closed doors. This is now Jesus speaking privately to his disciples uh, and there's so much for us to look at beginning john 13 beginning with verse 18 uh, and jesus had just said to, to the disciples that you don't need to have a whole bath you've all been washed but you need to have your feet washed because even though you're clean spiritually clean saved yet your feet get dirty and we, we spoke about the import of those verses and now jesus continues and, He says in verse 18, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I sent accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Amen. What a powerful set of of words as Jesus is sharing his prophecy uh, with his his disciples. And what you see here uh, is the juxtaposition, and God is demonstrating this through the Holy Spirit, the juxtaposition of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, the Master deferring Uh, uh, to the disciples, the master bowing in humility and serving the disciples, in contrast to Judas, who is filled with evil, Judas, who is lifting himself up, not caring about others, but lifting himself up, lifting uh, whatever he can do to, to get money, even to the point of betraying Jesus Christ. Uh, And so one of the things that that I wanted to tell you about and have you uh, consider, and this may be something that you haven't thought about before, but as I studied uh, this lesson and, and went through a number of commentaries, one of the things that I learned was that in Mediterranean society, there was nothing greater, no act that caused more pain or shame than the betrayal by someone who shared your bread. If you had someone who was in your home, someone who would share your meals with you, someone who would share your most intimate experience, and then that person betrayed you, in a Mediterranean society, that was the absolute worst act of evil that could be committed against you. Uh, and it was so perverse uh, that that it actually would cause incredible shame on the person on whom it had happened to. So you can imagine what it had to be like for Jesus. He spends three years with these men. He picked these men. He personally picked these men. And now one of the men that he picked will betray him. And so the question is going to become, why did Jesus pick Judas? Why did this happen? And so Jesus is laying this all out. Because you know... That Jesus was there with God the Father from the beginning of time. Jesus knew everything that would happen. Jesus knows everything that you're going to do before you do it. He still gives you the free will to do it. He has foreknowledge. By the way, that's a big thing that we have to understand, foreknowledge. Meaning not predetermination or predestination. It means God knows the decisions you're going to make in your life before you make them, yet He gives you the latitude he gives you the freedom to walk away, not do it, yet he still knows what you do. And so here we have Jesus uh, telling his disciples that there will be an incredible act of betrayal. Uh, and, and this is so significant. And John was going to will spend many verses going through this act of betrayal. But one of the things that Jesus did is when Jesus chose the disciples, Jesus was there to fulfill Scripture. Now, we, I spent the time speaking to you about the third-day prophecies because I wanted you to understand how critical it was for God to see Scripture fulfilled. And you know, when we did the disciples on the road to Emmaus, everything that Jesus spoke about that day was to demonstrate that the Scriptures all spoke about Jesus, from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about Jesus. And so here we see Jesus telling, picking this person. Picking Judas because he knew that the scriptures said he would be betrayed. Now that did not mean that God designated Judas, you're the betrayer. Don't go there. Jesus, Judas was not designated the betrayer. God knew in his heart that that's where Judas would go. And so Jesus... Picks Judas, spends three years with him. Think about this. Spends three years with him. He's there at the Sermon on the Mount. He's there for all the miracles. He's he's there for every single intimate moment. He sees God expressed as love in the most incredible way that the world would ever see. And yet here he is, right next to Jesus, and he would still betray him. What does that mean? It means this. Just because you go to church, just because you hang around with Christians, just because you go to Bible studies, just because you're surrounding yourself with the atmosphere of godly people does not mean that you've committed yourself to Christ. This is important. Because the only way we can be saved is by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And if we do not allow the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and to change us, this is an example of what can happen. You sit there, and yet nothing changes in your life. You know, it's like this. Just because you park in a garage doesn't mean you're a car. All right? Doesn't mean you're a car. You understand? I mean, we're talking about the importance of, of what it means to be a Christian. Here's a guy that spent three years with Jesus. Uh, and he was in charge of all the finances and yet you see you'll see that that he's unmoved unmoved and this is what happens when evil is encamped in your heart this is what happens so Jesus is demonstrating to them that the scriptures must be fulfilled and as the scriptures are fulfilled as they believe that the scriptures are valid then they will understand that Jesus is the one that the scriptures talked about and so it all ties together and so Jesus, as he's demonstrating what's going to happen, the betrayal that's going to take place—that the scriptures talked about the betrayal—ultimately uh, it will be in order to make the disciples understand precisely what would take place. Take a look at at uh, Matt, uh, John chapter six, verse uh, sixty-eight. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Verse 70, then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And John writes in an aside, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. And I want you to understand, and I'm going to cite some other verses. As I cite verses from the Old Testament that will prophesy about what's going to take place. Uh, And I'm also going to cite verses in Acts. And Acts is written maybe six, seven years after Jesus uh, expired on the cross. And Acts will talk about Judas and what it meant. And And then as we read the Gospel of John, which is written about 50 years after Jesus... Uh, died on the cross. You're going to see how the Holy Spirit has put all these words together. And it's seamless. It's absolutely seamless as you see this and read it and understand how God is, is all over this. Um, now, Jesus will refer, uh, as he talks about the son, son of Man will be betrayed, and he refers really to Scripture. Look at Psalm 41. Psalm 41, verse 9. Now, and this is the this is the verse that Jesus was referring to. And let me set this up for you. This is a psalm written by David, uh, and it's at a time when there is rebellion in the kingdom, where David's son Absalom has put together uh, effectively a revolution to depose his father. Uh, and some of David's most trusted counselors went with Absalom. One of the, one of the counselors that went with uh, Absalom was Ahithophel. Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was one of the most gifted, brilliant advisors. Whatever advice he gave always seemed to be so accurate and true. And so David prayed to God that Ahithophel's advice would become stupid. That it would become nonsensical. Uh, And God answered the prayer not the way David had in mind, because David wanted Ahithophel to basically become uh, ignorant, and instead God touched Absalom so that Absalom would not take the advice of Ahithophel. How do you like that? He refused to accept it, even as uh, Ahithophel was giving him very cogent advice. And so now you have in Psalm 41, verse 9, this very close verse that Jesus is referring to. Verse 9, Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. You heard that expression. That's what Jesus said. Lifted up his heel against me. And so what it means is that the most intimate relationship that you could have, as David had with Ahithophel. Jesus is now referring to what Judas has done to him. And so Jesus is telling the the eleven, look, I am going to be betrayed. It's in scripture. It has been foretold. It has been prophesied by David. It will take place. I don't want you to think that this is catching me by surprise. It is not catching me by surprise. In fact, it is my very real expectation of the fulfillment of scriptures. The Bible must be fulfilled. Amen. Now, you're one of these 11 guys, and you understand the situation that they're in. Their world is collapsing. All right, Everything is coming down against them. They realize Jesus is about to be arrested and most likely uh, executed. They're afraid for themselves. All right? So there's fear. There's trepidation. Oh, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. These are just regular men. Uh, And so you can imagine all the things going through their mind. And so Jesus is saying, Look, I'm going to be betrayed. One of you is going to betray me. But that's not going to be a surprise. It's been foretold in Scripture. Right here in David, uh, 900 years before, it's going to be very clearly given. And so you see this of Jesus as he tries to bring calm and knowledge and understanding to the disciples knowing that that will be the beginning of the church. Now, in the Reformation period, and this is important, in the Reformation period, it was common to speak of the ministry of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. You can underline that in the outline. Uh, Prophet, priest, and king, and that's in point four. Uh, The word prophet referred to Christ's role in speaking for God and dealing with revelation. Well, here it is. Here's exactly where you see that, where God is prophesying about what will happen and fulfilling the scripture. The word priest refers to Christ's role in giving himself as the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for sin and interceding with the Father. And the king is because Jesus will rule both in heaven and in this world. He will sit next to God the Father and will be King of the kingdom. And so you see these roles. And so Jesus is making a classic prophecy in these verses. Now, there are three parts. There are three parts to the prophecy itself. The explanation as to why it is given and an encouragement. So we're going to take them apart individually so we can study it. In the earlier verses, Jesus said to Peter that you are clean, but not every one of you. He then goes on to cite scripture. And then he says, he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And there it is. That's the prophecy part of, of the verse, indicating that the scriptures had already spoken about a betrayer. And so that's the first part that David had written about. Um, and so, and by the way, in that fact setting, and you ought to know this, Ahithophel, after Absalom refused to take his advice, went out and hanged. Himself. How do you like that? He hanged himself, and as you know, that's exactly what's going to happen with Judas. Uh, he hanged himself. You see how the how God sees? I mean, it's amazing when you study Scripture and you speak to a world that's lost, and, and they they have no knowledge of the Bible, or they call it a bunch of fables. Really, a bunch of fables? Are you kidding me? It's a roadmap. To bring you to heaven. God has told you everything that you need. He's proven himself over and over and over again. And you need to understand this in your own life. That when you come here and we study scripture, this isn't about entertaining. I'm not just here to entertain you. I'm trying to show you that God has ordained for you what the rest of your life is about. He's promised you things. He will deliver them. God has prophesied to you. He will make it come true. And so you see all this. It's so, it's so important that you understand this. Um, and so, it, it, I mean, it, to me, this just resonates so deeply. In the second of these three verses, Jesus gives the reason for his prophecy. It is, as he says, quote, that when it does happen, you may believe that I am he. Verse 19, there it is. It's going to happen. I'm giving it to you so that when it does happen, you will remember it and know that I am the Christ. That I am the Messiah. That the scriptures have written about me. There it is. There's, there's no accident. This is not a serendipitous occurrence. This takes place because God wrote it in the heavens from the foundation of the world. And Jesus is living it out. Just, just think about the sacrifice of Christ. I mean, really, you know, I mean, we don't talk enough about this. I mean, we concentrate about it on Easter, but I want to say this to you. I want you to realize that here is Jesus, God himself, with God the Father from the beginning of time, the foundation of the world. God is designating Jesus as the creative agent. Jesus will create this entire world. He will create it. Everything that you see, Jesus created it. And yet, I'm sure that at the moment the creation was done, God probably says to Jesus, You know that this, this this creation of man will fall. It will give in to sin. It will fall to sin. We need a savior. They cannot come and be with us unless they have a savior. They cannot do it by animals. There cannot be and Jesus, seeing this, says, I will go. Are you kidding me? I will go. I will go. I will go. I will be there. I will spend my life with these people. It's as if I've said it before. It's as if you look at a pile of ants and you go, oh, I love those ants. They're such good ants. I wish that they could spend quality time with me. I will become an ant. I'll become an ant. Even though I know when I become an ant. They will brutalize me. They will persecute me. They will beat me. They will repudiate me in everything I do. Yet I will do this because I know that the only way the ants can come to this shore is if we send a sacrifice and I will go. And there he is spending 33 years of his life. Spending three years. And through it all, picking someone who he knows has evil in his heart. And yet Jesus will still pick him and speak with him in love. That's the thing. Jesus doesn't repudiate him. Jesus does everything in his power to accept him, to draw him in, to demonstrate what love is about. And you see what happens when evil resides in your heart. Do you understand why hatred can't be is not consistent with Christian love? You can't sit there and be a Christian if you have hatred, if you have revenge, if you have anger. You need to ask God to take these things away from you because it's like a cancer that resides in your heart. And this is what happens. And so we don't know why Judas was like this other than evil encamped in his heart. Satan came came into his heart. And so Jesus is demonstrating to the disciples that he's telling them this so that when it happens, they will know who he is. And so the primary reason for prophecy in the Old Testament is to demonstrate who Jesus is. Let me say that again. The primary reason for prophecy in the Old Testament is to demonstrate who Jesus is. That's what prophecy is about in the Old Testament. Uh, Sometimes we think it's to satisfy our curiosity, Sometimes we think it's about to indicate what the future will be. uh, But the bottom line is the bottom line is that the purpose of prophecy in Scripture is to lay out who Jesus is. I want you to turn to Isaiah 48. Verse 3. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them, and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. That's God speaking. That's God speaking. I announced it long ago. I gave you notice. And then I made it happen. And that's the nature of prophecy. So if somebody calls themselves a prophet, be very wary of that phrase. You know, you'll watch television and you'll hear people on TV saying, I'm a prophet. Be very careful. Okay, be very careful. All right, we're, we're, so, we're so quick to throw these titles around. You see that when somebody was a prophet, the words that they said came directly from God and those words came true right? It's not like, well, I'm, I'm good like 10% of the time. No, they were good 100% of the time. 100% of the time. And so you understand the importance of this. And so the clearest reason why Jesus gives this prophecy concerning Judas is that the disciples might find their faith strengthened. That is the reason why God gives you the prophecy. Why we go back and we show you the prophecies in the scripture. It's to strengthen your faith. It's to let you know that God is telling you, I am God. I have written this story. Jesus is my son. Jesus is serving out this story. Jesus knows exactly what will happen. There are no surprises to God. And you wanna think about that in this election. God's not gonna be surprised by the election. All right, you understand that? When you wake up the next morning and it goes against what you want, don't think that God said, oh, somehow during the night I lost control. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 please, don't go there. I mean, you're seeing that he is in control, even to the point where one of the 12 is picked, even though one of the 12 will be a betrayer. Because everything comes together for God. It's so important. And and Jesus is telling us that the scriptures are eternal. And this is important. Turn to Matthew 24. Verse 34. This is Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Amen? There it is. Alright? Heaven and earth will disappear. It'll be wiped off. There may not be a universe, but my words, my words will live forever. Look also at Matthew 5. Jesus is demonstrating here the validity of, of prophecy, the validity of the Bible, Matthew 5, verse 18. This is right in the middle of the Beatitudes. Verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. Can I get an amen? amen? You understand? Nothing, nothing that's been prophesied will not will not come true. All of it will come true. It will all come true, even to the point that as the heaven and earth uh, dissolve amongst themselves, God's word will be fulfilled in every possible way. Boy, what a what a powerful set of, of words and prophecy we see here. All coming together as he confronts evil amongst the 12. And so one of the things I want to say to you is that those of us who are parents or grandparents, perhaps your greatest role, perhaps your greatest role is to educate your children or educate your grandchildren. To sit with them and read the Bible with them. Start with stories. Show them what God has done. This is a critical role for all of us because that's what God wants you to do. Because here's the thing. You may think you're going to give your kids an inheritance. You don't know what's going to happen with the economy, whether you're going to have anything to give them, right? Or you think I've got a great family name. I'm going to pass that family name on. You don't know how family names change or what happens to those things. And you think, well, there's some great legacy that we have here. I'm going to continue to give a legacy. You have no idea. But the one thing you can give them that will never change is giving them an understanding of the scriptures. Sitting with them and reading the Bible with them. Demonstrating that you live that kind of life, that you believe what the Bible is about. This is a big deal. This is what resonates with all of us. This is our role to teach our children. And now for most of us, our grandchildren. All right? And don't think, well, I didn't do as good a job as I should have with my kids. Well, now you can do a better job with your grandchildren. All right? Don't don't, don't say sit there and, and, and accept defeat. Look at it as an opportunity. And so you see this. You see this fallen world. Jesus sitting there with disciples as things look like it's collapsing around. And Jesus goes, Don't worry. I expect it all to happen. It's all part of God's prophecy, it will all come to pass. Do not be disturbed. Do not be despairing. This will be God's will. God will be in charge in every possible way. Now, Jesus could have cited another prophecy, which he did not. Turn to Zechariah chapter 11. One of the last books in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 11. Verse 12, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff called Union, breaking the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. This is a prophecy of what will happen when Jesus is betrayed. This has been written 500 years before Jesus will betray, before Judas will betray Jesus Jesus. I want you to understand what's going on here. Now in this prophecy, you see that the betrayer gives thirty pieces of silver uh, for, for the betrayal, for the act of betrayal. And then what happens when they when the thirty pieces of silver are received? It is thrown into the temple and goes to the potter's house. Fast forward. When Jesus will be betrayed by Judas, he will sell sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He will meet with the high priest and the elders, and they will have come to that price. After uh, Judas receives the money, Judas, uh, filled with guilt, filled with recrimination, doesn't want the money and wants to give it back, and they say, no, that's blood money. We're not taking blood money. How do you like that? The very people that did the transaction say, no, no, we're not taking that money. It's blood money. So what does Judas do? Judas throws the 30 pieces of silver back into the outer section of the temple. And so what does the high priest do when they get that money? We can't put that money. Back into the treasury? Because it's blood money. We're going to buy the potter's field. We're going to buy a field where the potters show their broken shards. And that field will be used. That field will be used in order to bury those people that come into Jerusalem. Who have no affiliation. Who are poor. Don't have anything. They will be buried in that potter's field give you evidence, exhibit A, of how the power of God writes these prophecies. This would sort to of send chills down your spine when you see that this is written 500 years before. 500 years before. Now I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. And so this is, this is right after Jesus ascends. This is Peter speaking now. The disciples are about to uh, add to the 11, replace Judas with Matthias. And Peter is now speaking right after Jesus ascends to heaven. Um, and look, following we'll follow in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. The Holy Spirit has not yet descended. It's not the day of Pentecost yet a group numbering about 120, so that's what the early church is, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Now, there it is. There's the proof. Peter got the message. Peter understood the prophecy of Jesus. Peter understood that the prophecy Jesus referred to was written by David. And so here's Peter now, after the crucifixion, after the ascension, and so this is approximately six weeks later, and and Peter is now speaking to the 120 and referring to that prophecy, which again supports uh, my position to you about what it says. Uh, he He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Not only did Judas hear everything that Jesus said, see everything that Jesus did, eat with him every day. Judas was even one of the 70 that was sent out by Jesus to spread the gospel. How do you like that? So even, you can be even within the confines of Christianity and maybe in some case, apparently, de facto, look like you're doing things that are advancing the kingdom of God and yet you're not. Your heart's not right. You haven't been regenerated. You haven't accepted Jesus. You haven't humbled yourself. And you see what happens. You see this. This is a very sobering message. Verse 18. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Not a pleasant picture. (laughs) Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called the field in their language, Ekeldama. That is, field of blood. How do you like that? Field of blood. Here it is written six weeks after the event. For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And another citation May another take his place of leadership. And that's exactly why. That's exactly why. That's exactly why they made Matthias the substitute for Judas. And so you see it all coming together in three verses about the prophecy, about how Jesus picked this man, why he knew this man was what he was, why he allowed him to stay there for three years, because all of it was within the perfect will of God. God is in charge. God had ordained. Jesus would be betrayed. His disciples needed to understand it. This is part of what I said would happen. It is part of my prophecy. And God brings it all together. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for, for your words. I thank you for this lesson. Lord, we are really astounded when we see how What you say comes true even hundreds upon hundreds of years later. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your prophecy. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this incredible love that you have for us in every way. Lord, help this lesson to be developed in our hearts as we reflect on it this week. And bless our people. Bless the service to follow. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.